Hey, really excited to continue the Christmas conversation that we're having, A Weary World Rejoices. If you have a Bible, go to Luke 2, open that up, lay it in your lap, get a piece of paper, your iPad, however you take notes. There's some things I think may be worth writing down as we just kind of look at a really, really familiar story today. As you're getting kind of set up there, let me just apologize for last week. Obviously, if you listened to last week or if you were here live last week, you know I was struggling with some illness and um, the truth of the matter is, God in his grace gave me enough voice to come in and do the video sermon last week. Uh, the irony of it was that I was preaching a sermon. This old preacher was preaching a sermon about an old priest. Uh, that old priest went into the Holy of Holies. I didn't come into the Holy of Holies, I just came into the studio. When he was in the Holy of Holies, uh, if you remember the story, he saw an angel. Man, that'd be pretty cool, right? I didn't see no angels in here. Uh, I did see Pastor Aiden. Uh, I don't know who got the better end of that deal, right? But I saw Pastor Aiden. But what's interesting is when that old priest, Zachariah, left the Holy of Holies, he couldn't speak anymore. Last week when I left this studio, those were the last words I spoke for about a week where I could be heard. I totally lost my voice. Now, what's interesting, I'm glad the story and the parallel and the similarities stopped there because what's interesting is Zachariah went home and uh, his wife got pregnant. Uh, I went home and made sure my wife was okay, but uh, but anyways, uh, thank you for bearing with me last week. We're a little better this week, and uh, we're praying that God gets us through the weekend. But I'm really excited to continue this really familiar um, part of the Christmas story. You might remember Linus in uh, Charlie Brown reading this and says this in Luke 2. Begin verse 8. There are shepherds in the same country living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary, she kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Will you pray with me? Father, I love you and thank you for loving me. Today we long to hear from you. And so I'm praying for my friends that are watching. God, I'm praying for me that you'd speak to us through your word, that you would challenge our hearts, and that you would change our lives, renew our minds. God, we look forward to hearing from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake, amen. Came across this uh, interesting story about Walter Bittinger. He's the president and CEO of Charles Schwab. He was asked a question, what is the most poignant or maybe powerful lessons that you learned in college? I was struck by his answer. His answer, and I quote from the story, was this. He says, a business strategy course in my senior year stands out to me. I'd maintain a 4.0, which is a perfect average. 
all the way through, and I wanted to graduate with a 4.0, a perfect average. It came down to the final exam. I spent many hours studying, memorizing formulas to do all the calculations in the case studies. The day came and the teacher handed out the final exam and it was one piece of paper, which really surprised me. I figured it'd be a lot longer than that. Once everyone had their paper, he said, the teacher looked at them and said, go ahead and turn your paper over. Both sides of the paper were blank. And then the professor said this, I've taught you everything I can teach you about business in the last 10 weeks. But the most important message, the most important question is this, what is the name of the lady who cleans this building? Can you imagine? <laughs> he goes on to say this, that had a powerful impact on me. It was, only, it was the only test I ever failed and I got the B that I deserved. Her name was Dottie. I didn't know Dottie. I'd seen her, but I'd never taken the time to ask her name. I've tried since that time, he says, to get to know every Dottie I've worked with ever since. It was just a reminder of what really matters in life and that you can't lose sight of the people who work around you and sometimes the people who do the real work for you. I'm fascinated with that story uh, for, for many reasons. One is it's just a powerful story, but I'm fascinated because there are Dotties all around us. Like you have them in your life and I have them in my life uh, for different reasons. I mean, it's, it's when you go to the supermarket, right? It's the cashier. Uh, you see a cashier. You don't necessarily see a person. Or you go to the restaurant, you see a waitress. You don't see a human being. Or you watch the news uh, about those immigrants and you see immigrants. You see a group lumped together of people. You don't really see the human story. Uh, it becomes easy to talk about those people, you know, those people and lump them together or label them. Uh, those people, uh, those Asians, those whites, those blacks, those Mexicans, or, or, or politically, those Republicans, those Democrats, those independents. Uh, it becomes really, really easy to talk to people, you know, those old people, those young people, those rich folks, those poor folks, uh, uh, those Michigan fans. Well, I don't know, too soon, <laughs> Ohio State, I don't know. But anyways, it becomes easy to do that. And, and we live in a society, to be honest with you, we don't just lump and label people, but what we do is we create walls, like dividing lines. Uh, and these walls uh, kind of block us from the stories that people carry. We have walls of assumptions. Our insecurities build walls, our fears, animosities. We discriminate, we exclude. We're self-centered. We live in a society of walls. And what we do is we wall off. And so what we have is we have a lot of dotties. We live around a lot of dotties that we never know, never think of knowing, never think we should want to know because we live in this society of walls, which makes the story I just read all the more fascinating to me because the story is about these shepherds and what an interesting group of people they are. Uh, because when you look at the story, these shepherds, it says they were in the same country and they were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. We, we don't know one of their names. Uh, in their day, it might've been easy to lump them together, you know, those shepherds, to label them. Uh, even to dehumanize them. Uh, we don't have a good one-to-one -one in our culture. It's not like there's a bunch, like probably there's not many shepherds watching me today. But probably not. Uh, like, like our idea of shepherds is maybe a renegade kid in a Christmas, Christmas pageant with a bathrobe on or something like that, uh, running around, maybe in a live nativity scene, uh, some dude with a bathrobe chasing sheep around. I don't know. But, but, but we don't really have a, a good one-to-one. -one. Like who were these guys? Those shepherds, 
what's interesting is this, they would've been hardworking blue collar group of individuals that my guess would be they'd have been the, the last to expect an angel to show up to them, uh, particularly in their culture, because uh, they were a group in their culture that were maybe the modern, they, they, maybe they were the dotties of their day. Uh, what I mean by that is this, socially they were on the low rung of the ladder. They were considered low status. In fact, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Someone wrote this, who can believe the testimony of a shepherd? I mean, they were seen as low class, not even able to, uh, not only socially were they low class, religiously, they were unclean, ceremonially unclean, not even allowed in the temple courts. They were looked down on and despised such that the Talmud, which was the rabbinic writings of the day, uh, said this, the Jewish Talmud says, give no help to a heathen or a shepherd. Um, that's who these guys are, those shepherds, the, those dotties of their day. Can you imagine their life was probably weary? Weary with their work for sure because they were hard workers. Weary with their labels. Weary with the stares maybe, the assumptions. Uh, weary with the discrimination, the exclusion. And yet here's what I find interesting. It was those sweaty, stinky, maybe telling off-color jokes guys out in the fields, living with the sheep who God sends his messenger to that first Christmas. What's interesting is this, is that it says that when the messenger came, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were greatly afraid. I always stop here and say this. Read the Bible in color. Don't read it in black and white. Let this be real. You ever have this happen? You ever been out in the middle of the woods or somewhere uh, in a dark room or in a building by yourself and then boom, the lights come on and you realize that there's somebody there with you? I gotta freak you out, right? I remember when I was in college, uh, one of the, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but one of the things that me and a friend of mine used to love to do is we used to like sneak into people's rooms in the middle of the night and we'd have a flashlight and then we'd have somebody, that was when they used to have phones on the wall and uh, we'd have somebody uh, lined up to call their number and so they're dead asleep like, this true story, right? They're dead asleep, and then the phone rings, and so they roll over to answer the phone, because when the phone rings at 2 in the morning, man, it's like, something's up, and then we'd shine those flashlights. It was awesome to see the reaction. Like, I imagined that with these guys. This was the original. Like, the angel shows up, and like, whoa, what's up? And, and, and he says, don't be afraid. Why? Because when a Bible, we said this last week, when a Bible angel shows up, uh, you tend to be afraid. And so, what does he say? He says, well... I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Like the angel shows up to these guys and says, I bring you good news. And, and I find great irony. Do you find irony in this? This is like ironic to me. It's ironic to me that angels, did you know this? They, they were God's messengers. And isn't it ironic that God sent his messengers with his news to people who were not allowed in his house? They weren't even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And he says, I got news for you. And the news that I have for you is going to cause mega joy for all people. And I'm sharing it with you first. I think this is awesome. The angel interrupts their probably routine night. And he says, I got news. And it's going to bring in the, the word great joy literally can be translated mega joy. Like this is going to bring mega joy to you. What in the world was the message? Well, there is born to you. 
this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, like a birth announcement. Yeah, you ever have somebody wake you up in the middle of the night and say, I got something I just got to tell you. And then they tell it to you, you're like, this couldn't wait till morning. Like, I don't know. I, I, don't read this through your Christmas ears. Like you've been, you've been reading the Christmas story for so long. Like read this like when it's first happening. Like these shepherds at this point, they have no idea we're gonna sing songs about them someday. They have no idea little kids are gonna run around in bathrobes pretending to be them someday. They're just out watching the sheep. And, and this angel's like, hey, a baby's been born. They're like, really? This couldn't wait till morning, right? Uh, and, and this will be assigned to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And, and, and it's as though the angel, just in case you think that this could have waited until the morning, it's like all of a sudden all the lights come on. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the, like, bam, a multitude, like hundreds, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, heaven. And on earth, peace, interesting, to those on whom his favor rests. Man, that's interesting to me. He shows up with these angels and it's like, what's at the core of his message? Now, this is not a typical birth announcement, but God is telling these shepherds that there is a baby and this baby who has come that he's sending them to is the conduit of his grace to mankind. And in this baby, you will find mega joy and the missing peace that our world is longing for. Mega joy because the world is weary. Their world was weary, just like our world is weary. I read this out of a, a commentator, Warren Wearsby said this, life was difficult at that time, just as it is today. Taxes were high, unemployment high, morals low. Uh, the, a military state was in control. The mighty Roman government, the wise Greek philosophers, and the devoted Jewish religion could not bring the joy and the thrill of hope a weary world longed for. Uh, they longed for joy. He says, I'm going to bring mega joy, and then I'm going to bring missing peace. Because here's the deal about peace. Whether we're in a time of war or not, they, just like us, live in a world of walls. A deeper hostility resides in all of us. There's a more profound war going on in all of us. And that war has erected a formidable wall. And that wall that's in all of us is the wall on which all other walls are built. Stoic philosopher, Epictetus said this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he's unable to give peace from passion, grief, envy, and animosity that builds walls between us. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than any cultural peace he can have. Here's the deal. The angel comes and he says, this baby's gonna bring joy and peace. He's going to crash down the, the walls that keep us from experiencing the joy and the peace that God wants us to experience. Because there's a wall inside of all of us, and it's this wall that keeps us from the thrill of hope and the treasure of joy. And it's a wall that was erected right from the beginning. Do you remember the story right from the beginning of mankind that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden? And he had this beautiful relationship with Adam and Eve. And he walked with them in the cool of the day. And he gave them all the trees and the, the, the vegetation, the animals. And he said, there's this one tree that I forbid you to eat the fruit from. And you remember the serpent came along, that Satan came along, and he began to spin the lies. We took, we took a look at this a few weeks ago. 
began to spin the lies. And the minute that they not simply listened to those lies, but acted on the lies of Satan, all of a sudden a wall was erected right from the beginning of time. The God that they walked with in the cool of the day, they became afraid of, they hid from, and there was a wall of shame. There was a wall of guilt. There was a wall of regret. They ran, they hid. There was no more intimacy. They were afraid. And what's interesting is that wall that was between them and God began to create walls between them. Do you remember how the story goes? God begins to look for them, not like he had to find them. You don't play hide and seek with God. He always knows where you're at. But he's like, where are you? He wants you to know where you're at. And when they finally cry out, what does Adam do? He begins to build a wall. He begins to build a wall. As he's hiding from God, he begins to build a wall. And he says, you know something? That woman that you gave me. He begins to dehumanize her. He, begins, he doesn't even call her that woman. And then he begins to blame God, that woman you gave me. You see, that's what happens. And what, would happen, what happens is the wall that got built right from the beginning in Genesis 3 led to a weary world where we build walls and dehumanize people and we begin to lump them together. What's interesting is, if you remember how the story goes, Genesis 3, when God begins to pronounce the curse, the curse, he says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now listen. And he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. What's he saying? Right from the beginning of the story of God, there's this prophecy about a child who would come who would crush the head of the serpent. Although the serpent would nip his heel, he would crush the head of the serpent. And in so doing, he would, in that moment that he crushed the head of the serpent, knock down the wall that exists between God and us. Here's why I tell you that. Because when the angel shows up to the shepherds, he says, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Guys, he is saying, this baby is that child, the Genesis 3 child. This baby is the wall-crushing baby. This baby is the serpent-crushing baby. The angel sharing this news with none other than shepherds. Guys, just, just go here with me for a minute. Sharing it with shepherds, shepherds who would have spent years just like their parents and grandparents before them, watching sheep, living with the sheep. And they would watch some of their sheep and they would watch some of them, the ones without blemish, that would be taken from their flock. And year after year, they would be offered as a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, for all the people. Repeatedly, the people would have sacrificed these lambs with every sacrifice on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would have had a reminder that sin is serious. Sin has consequences. Sin leads to a weary world with walls. Sin is personal. It's pervasive. God is holy. Every time they sacrificed a lamb, they would have been reminded of God's holiness. They would have been reminded of the seriousness of their sin. A day once a year would have come where the high priest would have taken two lambs or goats with no blemish for the sins of the people. The high priest would sacrifice the one lamb and only by the blood of the lamb could he go behind the curtain which represented the curtain of the Holy of Holies which represented the wall between a holy God and a sinful people. Only by the blood of that lamb could he do that. 
The blood covered the guilt of the people and made atonement for their sins. It was the blood of the lamb that was payment for their sins. God's holiness required it. Man's sinfulness demanded it. But after the high priest would come out from the Holy of Holies and offering the incense, and only by the blood of the lamb could he do that, when he came out of the Holy of Holies, he would come and he would place his both hands on the live lamb or the goat. And the high priest confessed all the wickedness and the sinfulness and the uncleanness of the people. And then the goat was taken to the remote part of the desert, far away from the camp. And he was released to symbolize that sin was paid for. And the resulting picture is that sin is removed. It's gone, never to return. Year after year, they would have seen some of their flock taken for the sacrifice of the people. The Jews had been doing this for centuries. And on the first Christmas, Jesus is born. And the angel says, now the Savior is here. Guys, I wonder, just stay with me on this. I wonder if any of these shepherds would have been in earshot when the Christmas Jesus, who now is the grown-up Jesus, would have come into contact with the wild-eyed preacher whose name was John, John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth last week. And when the wild-eyed preacher, John the Baptist, son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, came in contact with Jesus, this is what he said. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, what? Say it out loud, the yellow. Look who? Look, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guys, this would have been fascinating. Can you imagine any of these shepherds being in earshot of that day? The ones who watched lambs for God were now gonna be the first to watch as the lamb of God entered the world. That's who God chose. <laughs> I wonder if any of them would have been around for the end of the book of Luke when they took the Christmas Jesus, who is now the grown-up Jesus, and they stripped him naked and they nailed him to a cross. I wonder if any of them would have remembered the moment the angel said to them, I have good news for you and it's gonna bring mega joy for all people. I wonder if that moment these shepherds who took care of lambs for a living would have looked at Jesus on the cross and recognized him as the lamb of God who would provide for them life. I wonder if they, if it would have clicked that this good news that causes great joy had come in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, what's the point? There's a wall between you and God. There's a wall between I and God. There's a wall between all of us and God. And it's only God's grace working for us. That's the only thing that has the power to knock down the wall between God and all of us. It's only God's grace. You see, he is the child, the lamb. He was in the place where I belong. You see, here's the way Hebrews chapter two puts it. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Look at this. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for, say it out loud, for who? Everyone. You see, Jesus crushed the wall between God and me because he died in my place. He received what I earned so that I could receive what I don't deserve. That's grace. I'm reminded of this story. I've shared it before here. Um, 
But my son is a pastor, and, and he told me he shared the story at church, and so it was just all fresh on my mind. There was an occasion where my son, uh, when he was Joel, when he was younger, uh, I don't remember what he did, but he did something that he got in trouble for, and it was very wrong. I do remember that. And I remember in the midst of that, uh, that you know, I was very frustrated. And I remember I sent him to his room as I thought about what I needed to do because what he had done was very, very wrong. And I needed him to know that. I needed discipline to be in play. And so I thought for a long while, and eventually when I came to the point where I said, I'm, I'm going to go back to the room and, and uh, you know, I'm going to execute some discipline, well, he was waiting back there and kind of like a little bit afraid, uh, I'm sure. But I went back and I walked in the room and I had a wooden spoon. Well, now he went from fear to very much afraid and he saw that wooden spoon and I said, Joel, uh, tell me what you did. And he told me and I said, you know, that was wrong. And yes, I know it was wrong. I said, it was really, really wrong. And why was that wrong? And he told me why I was wrong. And I said, that was wrong and there, there has to be a consequence, Joel because there's a consequence to our decisions. And he's looking at me and, he, and he's like, what's that consequence gonna be? And I said, I brought the wooden spoon and, and this is gonna be the consequence. And man, he was like, yeah, daddy, I, I don't want the wooden spoon. Nobody wants the wooden spoon, right? And I said, but, but today, Joel, I want to be a day that you never forget. And I, I had him get off his bed and, and then I put my hands on the bed and I leaned over and I gave him the spoon. And I said, today, Daddy wants to take your consequences for you. I mean, the kid looked at me, and I said, today, I want you to give me a spanking with a wooden spoon. I remember he kind of tapped me like that, and I said, no, Joel, what you did was very wrong. Uh, I want you to give me the punishment, the consequence for my action. I'm going to take your place. And I remember he hit me, and I'm like, no, Joel. And I remember the moment he finally broke, but, but the point was, was this, is that that day, now you can't do that, parents, little tip. You can only do that once. I mean, next time he gets in trouble, hey, Dad, you want to do that wooden spoon thing again? No, right? But the point is, uh, I took his place that day. I wanted to stand in the way. That's what Jesus did for us. He, he, when he died on the cross, he took our place. And when he did, he knocked down the wall between God and I. I love the fact that it says that he did this for everyone that no one is excluded. The mega joy gospel is the most inclusive, exclusive message on the planet. There is only one way, that's through Christ, but it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Jesus tasted death for everyone. You see, there's some of you listening to me, you say, my wall's too big between God and I. You don't know all the things that I've done. I've built a really, really big wall. And I'm telling you that the gospel says this, there's no wall that is too big that God can't knock down through what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. There's others of you, you think, no, your wall's not too big. You think that somehow you can manage your wall and scale your wall. And I'm here to tell you that there is no wall that you can scale. You think you can scale it through your morality, being really, really a good person, uh, maybe going to church a lot. The only way for you and I to experience the peace and the joy from God is through the grace that we receive from him that comes in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Have you done that? Have you said yes to him? He's a wall-knocking-down Savior. I read this uh, earlier this week, uh, and I don't know who to give credit to because I don't remember where I read it, but I wrote it down. What sends people to hell is not necessarily their sin. 
but it's the refusal to accept his grace and experience his peace found in Jesus. Right now, he's making the offer to you to experience that peace and joy. And you can either receive that or reject that. You see, here's the deal. There's a wall between God and us, and, and, and that wall is the source of all the other walls between us. We have walls between us. Uh, we have political walls. Never has our country been more politically polarized. I read an article by Brown University where they've tracked this in other countries, and they said this is the, the, the heightened of political polarization in our country right now. Uh, racial walls. There's nothing new under the sun. This has been going on for a while. Whites, blacks, Hispanics, uh, Asians. And, and we live in our own walls and we see it from our own perspective. I got to tell you something. I, I was so thankful God gave me the opportunity when I was in seminary. I was the guardian for a young man from the inner city of Chicago. Uh, a young black teenager who had gotten in trouble with the gangs came and lived with me. Um, and we, we had a great time together. We played a lot of basketball. I'd go to work. I'd give him some chores to do. I'd come home. We'd play basketball together. We'd go out to eat together. Uh, we had a good time together as, as he lived with me for, I don't know, maybe a little over a year. But I remember living with him and living in a town that was predominantly, if not all white. Everywhere I took him, I can remember people looking different at us. I remember one instance where I took him to a restaurant and we got out of the car and he was a polite young man and we went into that restaurant and we sat down and got something to eat and we came back out and I remember there was a note on my car and the note on my car was from somebody who had parked next to us and he was going to sue me because that, and you fill in the blank, opened his car door and hit his car door. I remember thinking to myself, I was with him the whole time. He, he didn't hit his car door. That did not happen. And I remember thinking, you, you got to be kidding me. And I remember thinking how offensive the, the note was. And I remember thinking, how can this be? This feels unjust. You see, we have walls. We're afraid of what we don't know. We have socioeconomic walls. And we think that all rich people want to fatten their bank accounts and all poor people want a handout. And we have generational walls. Uh, we, we, we think about old people. And we're like, well, they're so out of touch and irrelevant. We think about young people. And they're like, well, they're lazy and all they want to do is be in their phones, right? And we just lump people together. That's why I'm so intrigued that God, on purpose, intentionally, that first Christmas, chose, despised, ceremonially unclean, not trusted in court, blue-collar lives, people who live with sheep for a living, to be the first ones he sent the message of great joy, mega joy, and missing peace to. Because it tells us something about God's grace, that his, God, his grace working in us is the only power to knock down the walls between us. His grace working in us, the litmus test of whether or not you truly have experienced the grace of God in your life that knocks down the wall between you and God is your ability to extend that grace toward others and live as a peacemaker. I'm going to say that again. The litmus test for whether you have truly experienced the grace, the, the wall-crushing grace of God in your life found in Jesus Christ is your ability to extend that to others. I love this rather lengthy passage in Ephesians uh, that I want to show it to you, and then I want to talk to you about it. It says, For he, Jesus, is himself our peace. He's made two groups one. He destroys the barrier, he div the dividing wall of hostility. He sets aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came, and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful picture (coughs) of diversity. People who were near and far, old, young, men, women, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, coming together, (laughs) And not building walls, but breaking down walls and instead building this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Walls being broke down. What a beautiful picture that our world needs today. Walls being broke down. People reaching out. Rich reaching out to poor. Poor being willing to reach back to rich. Old and young being able to Relate together. Help each other. Different races coming together. I would even say it's the gospel and the grace we receive from God and Jesus Christ that helps us to knock down the hardest wall we build. You know the hardest wall we build is? It's the wall of unforgiveness. It's when someone hurts us. We endure this relational hurt. So what we do is we build a wall of resentment a wall of bitterness. It's only the power, listen to what I want to tell you, it's only the power of the child who came and was pierced so we could experience peace with God that can help us extend peace to those who pierce us. Sometimes. Here's the way Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We get to be a corporate picture now of what's going on then. The child, the angels announced to the Dotties of their day, the shepherds, was born. He grew up. They killed him. They buried him in a borrowed tomb, and he rose again. And he's coming back to make all things new. And there will be peace on earth. The first time he came, God announced this as unlikely shepherds, and they gathered around his manger to see the Messiah. The next time he comes, there's going to be an unlikely crowd, more diverse than you think, gathered around a king sitting on his throne. The book of Revelation says it this way. They sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. What a beautiful picture. Can I ask you a couple questions, just a couple by way of implication and application, and then we're done. The fact of the matter is the first question I think that this particular story caused us to ask is, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Are you trying to scale the wall? Are you just living behind the wall of your sin and your guilt, saying there's no way God could love me? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus came and tasted death for all of us. 
And when he did that, he crushed the wall. And the wall is gone. And he today, right now, he today, wherever you're watching this, is extending his arm saying, I'm making the invitation for you to say yes to me. And the moment you do that, you can have forgiveness for all the things that created the wall in the first place. And you can be part of my family, he says. Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Some of you are trying to scale your own wall by being moral, being really, really religious, being really, really good. He says there's, there's only one way, and it's through the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Have you ever said yes to him as Savior, Lord, and King? Maybe a second question is this. Who are the Dotties in your life? What are the walls you're living behind? What are the walls of assumptions, discrimination, exclusion? No, seriously. What are the walls? Uh, what's interesting is this, that the shepherds, uh, they came, and they were the first ones around the manger to be witnesses. But, but the story didn't end there. It says when they left, they told everybody. Th that's ironic to me. They told everybody. Uh, these guys who have been treated, excluded, discriminated, they became God's ambassadors of this mega joy and missing peace gospel. You see, in very much the same way, when we say yes to Jesus, we become ambassadors of that. The shepherds could have been like, you know something, you guys have kind of discriminated us, you've excluded us, you've kind of looked down your nose at us. You know, we had this awesome experience and we're going to keep that to ourselves. They didn't. They became peacemakers, ambassadors of peace. Let me ask you this. What, who are the Dotties in your life? What are the walls that you're living behind? Uh, are there people you need to forgive? Maybe it's people that you have made assumptions about. Maybe it's people you work with that you've just lumped together. M maybe it's you taking a step saying, hey, tell me your story. You see, the litmus test for me experiencing the grace that comes from God that breaks down the wall between God and me is me extending grace to others. And maybe for you, it's taking that step to get to know that person from a different culture, that person from a different race. Maybe it's having a conversation with that person from a different ideology. Maybe that's the first step. I know this, that the Bible is chuck full of God saying, that's what I want you to do as a kingdom of priests here on this earth. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God, Matthew 5. He says this, his half-brother says this in James. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. He says this in Colossians 3. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Who are the people that you have built walls up? Walls of maybe assumptions or discrimination. You see, when the angel came, he says, I bring a message. It's good news, great joy. And his peace is going to rest on those where his grace is found. His favor shows up. My prayer is this, is that in each of us there will be mega joy and this missing peace that our world is longing for and that we'll be ambassadors and demonstrators of the incredible joy and peace that comes from the child who came that first Christmas. God, I pray for my friends listening that you would help us 
to take this very familiar story and realize there's way more going on here. That literally you were announcing the wall-crushing child who would go to the cross for each of us to break down the wall between you and us. And I so thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray that you'd help us as a church, as followers of Christ, to be people who spot the dotties in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.